Welcome to Head & Neck Innovations, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest innovations, discoveries, and surgical advances in otolaryngology head and neck surgery. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Head & Neck Innovations. I'm your host, Paul Bryson, director of the Cleveland Clinic Voice Center. You can follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Paul C. Bryson. And you can get the latest updates from Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery by following at CLE Clinic HNI. That's CLE Clinic HNI. You can also find us on LinkedIn at Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery and on Instagram at Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, Dr. Mamie Higgins, in our division of rhinology and skull-based surgery. Welcome to the podcast, Mamie. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Well, we've had the opportunity to work together now for a few years, and this is your first time on the podcast. So would you just share with our listeners a little bit about you, you know, where you're from, where you trained, and you know, how you came to Cleveland? Sure. So I grew up mostly in Northern California. I went to school at UC Berkeley, but I went to medical school out at the University of Buffalo. I then did my residency training in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery at Albany Medical Center up in Albany, New York, before then heading to Seattle at the University of Washington for my neurorhinology skull-based fellowship. And right after fellowship, I joined here, so I've been here since. So quite a bit of uh, transcontinental work here between California and Seattle and upstate New York and here. Was there much of an adjustment for you as you, you know, came back to the sort of Midwest, Northeast climate? Absolutely. So, you know, it's nice to, I haven't lived in California for a long time. As you know, our training is very extensive. So I haven't lived in California since the early 2000s, but most of my family's from the Northeast, from the Boston area. So I'm kind of used to the cold in that sense. But Cleveland's such a great area. We have such a great institute and great colleagues and the collegial environment, just the learning and research opportunities here are what really brought me here. So I'm excited. Yeah, no, it's it's been great to have you, you know, as part of the group. Can you share a little bit more about your clinical interests? You know, surgically, clinically, you know, how your how your practice has grown and and things that you've taken any particular interest in over the years? Sure. So as a rhinology specialist, sometimes I will see patients who need primary surgery, meaning they've never had surgery before. Many times these patients might go to a comprehensive ENT or head and neck surgeon, which is also appropriate. But some patients who have more extensive sinus disease, they might have anatomical variants that make their surgical intervention a little bit more difficult and a bit more high risk. But definitely those revision surgeries where sinus surgery was done before, but maybe didn't quite get the effects and the benefits that they were looking for are pretty much the majority of my practice at this point. You know, chronic sinus disease, although tumors and, and cancers are, you know, exciting to obviously make such an impact on patients' lives with this kind of dire prognosis or diagnosis, you know, chronic sinus disease with or without polyps really has this humongous impact on quality of life that nobody really understands unless you're a sinus patient and they'll be the first to tell you, like, I, I can't go to work. I miss all this work. I'm always needing to go to urgent care and needing antibiotics and I'm just running run down and I don't feel well. And it's not a condition where you get a lot of sympathy because it's not a heart attack or a stroke, even though 
sinus disease has been shown to have a much more significant impact on your quality of life than either of those two conditions on a day-to-day basis. So um, the ability to intervene and decrease the severity and the frequency of those chronic symptoms is really such a delight in terms of just making the day-to-day so much better for patients in general. Yeah, no, it's great to hear it. You know, you don't know, you know, like how you can feel with something that can be chronic like that until you see the right person and, and, you know, get, you know, get the right treatment and surgery. It's, I'm sure it's, you know, a big improvement for these folks that are lucky enough to come and see you. Right. It's great to give a second opinion. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I understand you also have, besides your clinical practice, you also have a number of interests in research um, and education. And you recently attended the uh, Society of University Otolaryngologist meeting. I don't know. I forget where it was this year, but. This year is in Washington, D.C. So it was a good, it's a good group of people who met up. Yeah. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about the meeting and kind of some of the things you learned or were uh, maybe excited to hear about that, you know, make, may come back to your own practice and and educational endeavors? Right. So what's really interesting about this group, and it's also with, you know, the program directors and the chairs of all the ENT residencies across the nation. And this was actually my first SUO meeting. But what it really focuses on is our resident training and changes to both in terms of how we train our residents, as well as making sure they are competent to graduate, to pursue fellowships and further advanced training, or to become a comprehensive ENT and start seeing patients. And so a couple of the key points from this meeting were how we're switching from our traditional model of training based off of kind of meeting these these core understandings of different topics, but rather switching to a competency-based model. And um, one of the main speakers was Dr. Resnick, who is not an ENT, but he is a surgeon up in Canada. And they've done a lot of training and studies to show that with competency-based model, they can get their residents trained faster, more efficiently. Their surgical skills get to a level, a more advanced level at a quicker pace which is more relevant for a lot of the surgeons that you're graduating and going into the world. You know, only a subset of ENTs are going to go into academic medicine and maybe research, but the majority go right into the general population to treat people. And so if that's the case, then we need to change the way we train our resident physicians to make it applicable. What we want is value-based care, and we keep hearing that over and over in terms of how are we going to reshape medicine, make it more cost-effective since it is such a huge financial burden nationally for our deficit. And going to this value-based model means we also need to be more competency-based. And it was a really interesting concept. And as you know, whenever there's new concepts for something that's been done the same old way over and over, including something as storied as surgery, there was a lot of backlash. And so Dr. Resnick's stories in terms of, you know, how much how much fight he got back from the general surgeons of this is never going to work. But their studies showed it really does. And the residents tend to be happier as well because they're getting into the operating room faster. They're becoming more 
self-sufficient quicker, and they're still being observed and supervised in an appropriate way where their patients are getting even better care as well. So I, you know, uh, we're a little behind, I think, in terms of the U.S. of switching to a competency-based model, but actually ENT head and neck surgery was one of the first residency programs or residency te- uh, surgical specialties that switched over to the competency-based, but I think in terms of the objective measures that we're going to look at, we now need to kind of work out the kinks in terms of making it come to fruition. Yeah, that's very exciting. And, you know, change is always, you know, often hard and there are some headwinds to it. Absolutely. But no, it sounds like, you know, we're kind of already getting there a little bit as a specialty. You know, some good lessons learned were were shared and strategies for trying to implement this. Absolutely. Yes. Like the strategies, maybe some of the failures, how to get people on board. Just a lot of a lot of really good discussion, which was hopefully going to instigate some changes here, which is great. And then we discussed there's uh, different changes to the residency training. So anyone who might be listening that's a future applicant, our boards have changed where we still have our written boards, but our oral boards are going to be based off of your practice if you go straight into practice and case-based. And so the reasonings behind that, and so we can better educate our residents in terms of those board testing changes. Yeah, well, thanks for thanks for sharing those changes that are coming up, you know, across the specialty. I think both are exciting. I think the the change in the oral board format, I think uh, has potential to really be, you know, pretty nice and pragmatic uh, for people as they're in that first year of practice and looking at their cases and being able to, you know, to bring cases. I think it'll be good. Right. As you can imagine, there was a lot of discussion with that as well, because again, our oral boards have been such a have been a certain way for so long. But again, there have been multiple specialties who have kind of paved the way before us, and so hopefully it will be meaningful. Yeah, I think so. And you're right; it's not like we're completely in the wilderness on this. I think we can look to some of our other colleagues and surgical specialties. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I wanted to also ask you to share, what are some of your research interests? I know you're part of a pretty dynamic group, but yeah, what are you, what are you interested in, you know, personally with your practice and, you know, what, what research opportunities are there? Most of my research interests are based in clinical application of much of the scientific knowledge that we have, or there are some things, as you know, we just do, and sometimes we don't have a good reasoning behind it. And really everything that we strive for is kind of this evidence-based medicine model. And so what's really interesting is the more I've practiced, my clinical questions have have kind of narrowed down into certain areas that I never thought I would be interested in. So some areas have to do with in terms of patient symptoms and flares and how best we can create a, whether it's AI or a survey model in terms of better understanding and identifying people who truly have a bacterial flare where an oral medication is warranted and kind of sifting out the background noise and hopefully getting better, again, value-based care for our chronic sinus patients because it is a chronic problem. And I think the biggest complaint we get from many of our patients is when I flare, which will undoubtedly happen, how can I get care in a, in a efficient fashion without feeling 
patients are always so kind and they always feel like they're bothering someone. And so we want to work out a way where we can save the patient some time and get the appropriate care that they need, but also avoid, you know, unneeded antibiotic treatment. So we're working on some diagnostic tools in order to help for that. Additionally, as I kind of discussed earlier with SUO, a lot of my interests rely in research and how we can better educate not just the public, but also the residents. So residency training, for those who don't know, for head and neck surgery is five years. It includes an internship year where half of the year is dedicated to ENT head and neck and the rest is in other specialties. But then there's another four years of dedicated training. And it's Although it seems like a really long time, and some days it can feel very long, it goes by very quickly, and you want to make the most bang for your buck. And everybody also learns in a unique way. And although our residents learn surgeries and learn to become better in the operating room, there are other ways, especially with AI technology and 3D printing, and using some of these like silicone models and some of the technology that we have to advance our training for our residents, especially for those cases that we don't have many numbers of, some pathology that's thankfully not high in frequency, but are needed skills that we just don't have enough repetitions to teach our residents. So we have some exciting educational research projects. And then additionally, we have some pharmaceutical clinical studies that are ongoing. So especially for those chronic sinus patients that might be listening who have had multiple revision surgeries and despite good surgery and appropriate topical medical management, their disease is just so so severe that they're not getting the improvement that they really desire, or perhaps you're too sick to get another surgical intervention, there are some new drugs, medications that are in the pipeline for better medical management of the different types of inflammation associated with chronic sinus disease. So here at the Cleveland Clinic, we kind of have our foot in the door with some of these new medications. So a really interesting opportunity for those patients who just feel like they've kind of hit a dead end at this point. So we have two different studies ongoing that people should reach out for. Yeah, that's very exciting. I, I feel like in so many areas that the touch out of laryngology, we're in sort of on the precipice of some of the biologic drugs that are out and ways to influence disease or diseases that were, you know, difficult to manage and difficult to handle flares and, you know, where, you know, maybe surgery alone just needs, it's not enough. We need to you know, maybe be a little more, you know, precision medicine oriented. Correct. It's that uniquely tailored medicine, right? For so long, our, our chronic sinus patients are just kind of grouped into those without polyps or with polyps. But really, there's so much more nuance to that. There's different types of inflammation that we usually categorize to those, but we know there's a lot of crossover. And, you know, especially in terms of the biologics, these medications that are uniquely designed to attack these inflammatory cytokines, they just weren't around when you and I trained and have really kind of changed the landscape in terms of how we treat chronic sinus disease that is refractory to surgical interventions. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you as well, you know, we were both surgeons, but it's really amazing how much medicine is involved within the field of ENT. 
Yep. I mean, I, I think in a number of areas, we're, we're getting a better sense for what these inflammatory phenotypes are or what some of these molecular phenotypes are and some of the recurrent things that we do. And I think it's, it's very exciting because, you know, we have an opportunity to really, you know, get back to that quality of life improvement for patients. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you joining the podcast and it's, uh, it's great to, to be a colleague of yours here. And yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. For more information on Cleveland Clinic's section of rhinology, sinus, and skull-based surgery, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash rhinology. That's clevelandclinic.org slash rhinology. And to speak with a specialist or submit a referral, please call 216-444-8500. That's 216-444-8500. Dr. Higgins, thanks for joining Head & Neck Innovations. Thanks for listening to Head & Neck Innovations. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website at clevelandclinic.org forward slash podcasts, or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Buzzsprout, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic experts in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org forward slash head and neck. Thank you for listening and join us again next time. Thank you.